In therapy, radically genuine is reached when one is being truly authentic, communicating freely and openly as equals. The Radically Genuine podcast strives to do just that. We will question areas of mental health, culture, societal norms, and what is truly needed to improve the lives of others. Dr. Roger McFillin is a clinical psychologist and board certified in behavioral and cognitive psychology. He is the executive director of the Center for Integrated Behavioral Health in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. What can we learn from the 2020 public health response to the global pandemic? For one, simply limiting the idea of public health to the prevention of a virus can no longer be the only factor. Lockdowns, social isolation, and the constant barrage of unsound science paralyzed many. This use of fear to influence behavior has resulted in an increase in anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. On today's podcast, we discuss our understanding of relative risk and how the science of fear conditioning has contributed to the current state of the mental health crisis. Okay, so let's uh, let's time code this. This is uh, the first week of June. We just came after a Memorial Day, and we actually had a very nice Memorial Day. It was Monday. The sun was out. It was seventy-two and sunny, and we had a barbecue. And um, and uh, this was the first time that a whole bunch of us got together, family, at one location. And I feel like the world is opening up. And it made me think about, you know, how has the mental health business transitioned over the last year? And what has the effect been on society as a whole? And I think this will be a really good conversation to lead into for this edition of the podcast. So what are you guys thinking? A few weeks ago, we went to Hershey Park and that was when uh, they announced, hey, if you're you know, vaccinated, you don't have to have your mask on. Well, that day at Hershey Park, 90% of the vaccinated people were there. <laughs> <laughs> well, driving over to your house, we saw a woman alone in the car with a N95 mask on. And I think... When I when you look at something like that, still, huh? Yeah, alone in their car with an N95 mask on, you begin to understand the role of these public health messaging on fear, and how that was to influence behavior. But I'll tell you what, it's pretty difficult to actually separate this discussion from decisions that our government made. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And uh, I mean, you can have this type of conversation talking about facts, talking about reasonable yep. responses to a public health crisis and what was unreasonable, especially when we start talking about our response to children. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're going to reflect back on, on one year, um, one of the greatest concerns that I have about our public health response was that we limited the idea of thinking about public health of the prevention of a virus. And as a psychologist, And I think as society, we now understand that public health expands itself beyond just the physical health, right? We we are in a mental health crisis right now, Um, significant rises in anxiety, depression, substance abuse. And we were looking at some statistics regarding the increase in uh, suicidal events and psychiatric hospitalizations, especially for young people, teenagers. So there's obviously the consequence of... um, our response to the pandemic, both from a government perspective and from media messaging, had an impact on people's well-being. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt. I, here's a question that I have. So you had 
in the beginning, everyone a year over a year ago, everyone was, we didn't know what anything was. I mean, I think everybody was a bit chaotic with their thoughts. And I think that people just genuinely wanted everything to be okay. We were, you know, helping each other out. But after the well, media and government and after a while, after a certain time, I don't know exactly when that was, say a month or two months go by and you keep hearing, well, now we have to close down more. Now we have to continue to shut down. And you saw, in my opinion, at the time, very almost like a rational fear, people saying, I can get this. I remember we had to wipe off things from the grocery store. People were wiping things down. I want to know more about that fear. I want to know why some people were okay to move ahead with, you know, risk taking. And some were just like, I'm not moving on. I mean, it ultimately comes down to risk aversion. And you, you mentioned that that fear uh, can be an irrational, right? And we are designed as human beings to overestimate risk or threat. Because listen, like if anxiety is your body's response to potential threat, you want to overestimate the risk and not underestimate the risk. Yeah, but in, in my situation, it was quite unique. The risk situation in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania is different than the risk situation in Los Angeles, California. Los Angeles has been known to, at times, uh, implode upon itself when opportunities present themselves. And that was a moment when you have uh, a pandemic and rising cases and uncertainty and a lot of people not what not really understanding what's going on and that's what caused a lot of that fear in in people that but, were in close quarters but, but it wasn't the media wasn't oh, that definitely played okay. a role oh my uh, yeah i agree that the media plays a big role in that as the pandemic did begin to progress we got more and more information and data about the the nature of the coronavirus yep. and there were certainly there was a risk profile that was identified and that risk profile was the elderly, certainly over the age of 85 or at significant risk because they're near end of life statistically anyway. And over 65 puts you at a certain risk category as well, um, but it's compounded by other medical issues. So if you were struggling with some other medical issues, it, it really increased your risk. And then what we saw was a large portion of the population, especially young people, are fairly immune to any of the adverse consequences of the disease. Yeah. And we started making public health policies to protect the vulnerable. And what that did is it in, impacted negatively a large portion of the population. And one of the, the concepts that I found from a psychological perspective fascinating was how people cope with uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So there certainly was a period of time where there was a lot of uncertainty and it makes sense to be protective. But as we started to get more and more information, we started to understand what the relative risk profile was for many. And we saw the messaging then um, from a media perspective and from a public health perspective was very motivated to keep the fear level high. Well, I feel like we've touched on this in a previous podcast, which is media wants people to, they want you to watch, they want you to follow. And during that period, people are mostly stuck in their homes watching the news to find out what's going on. And the more that they can keep you sucked into listening to that and watching it, the more it feeds their model. So that's a factor, yes. right? So being able to uh, boost viewers 
And you would see that with the rising death counts on CNN. Yes. And how important that was for them to We've keep We've reached the a grim happy. milestone. Exactly. But then you want to tie it to the psychology of public health. So it was clear that even our government messaging was designed to influence public health behavior. And that is done through the provocation of fear. So if you were using certain words to provoke fear, then you're going to more likely get the populace to adhere to public health recommendations. And often some of those messages extended way beyond what the data was or the science at that time. And the United States as a culture obviously is derives from a group of people that often had to immigrate here. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about this, the culture of the United States is one of individualism and rebellion against entities that try to control. Yes. Very sensitive to that because often uh, we have multiple generations that have fled from from countries where there was a regime state. or it's very uniquely United States. Mm-hmm. So you begin to get this divided country where it fell along political lines. But this matters, right? Yes. Based on relative trust in people's having the best interest of you and society. Mm-hmm. And that started to split along political lines. Well, the, the message there was this collectivist attitude where you go, you can't be an individual when you have a pandemic. In other words, it's, 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 it's bigger than you. And, and I, I'd actually certainly don't disagree with that mentality. The problem I have mm-hmm. is when leaders sit there and, they, and now, they're, now they were doing it for public health and now they're doing it for optics. Yeah. And you now have an entire population, not entire, but you get my point, fearful so and, and anxiety-stricken. So let me explain the impact that I saw in my office. So people don't always know, like, all right, how do you treat anxiety disorders? And what is an anxiety disorder? Well, I hate using the word disorder, but let's say when your fear um, impairs your own ability to live life in a free way, that influences relationships, work, your ability to function, right? And so one of the components of people who are really struggling with their own fear is that overestimation of threat. And I remember asking uh, some of these clients who were very fearful of contracting COVID, what is the likelihood that if you contract COVID that, you know, you'll experience severe symptoms Mm -hmm. or potentially even death? Yeah. And I remember one particular client said 50-50. 50-50. Right. It's like flipping a coin. I leave my home. I'm exposing myself to a pen- potentially fatal illness. And that I found to be much more common um, with my clients who are experiencing anxiety than what you would, you know, compare it to somebody who has a more realistic understanding of what the statistics were. Because in that risk ratio that relative risk ratio, you know, a lot of these were younger people between the ages of 16 and 30 who were healthy, the relative risk for them personally of dying from COVID, I mean, they were at greater risk of dying in a fatal accident driving to my office. So the relative, if you're talking about the fatality rate, which is what's most important, right? right. The fatality rate of someone who contracts COVID is far less than 2%. We're way under 1%. So one thing, we're all going to die of something. Yes. Okay. You have to recognize that. And when you're in a pandemic- The odds of dying are one 
in one. Yeah. We're all going to die. Right. Yes. Yeah. And when you start having these messaging about a pandemic, it brings to the forefront a person's um, fear of their own death. And you begin to think about life a little bit differently and you can enter into like an overprotection mode. I think what we actually did to kids in society was criminal this past year. We tried to make that as no, I was more concerned about their mental well-being. And so from day one, it was where can we go where we are not going to be looked at or ostracized because we are part of that out group where we, because I from day one was like, not day one, but I was like, no, nope. So we had to make sure that we got them involved with as many different things where they were going to continue whatever pathway they had, collaboration, teamwork. Mm -hmm. And we did. We did. I felt like with our kids, we were able to do that. There were some hurdles and I got some nasty looks, but at the same time, I felt better about them. I was more concerned about them than I was for me. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was bitter and angry this whole year because I didn't understand why people had kept saying the same thing and repeating over and over what they saw in the news. And it was only from, you know, two or three channels that they were watching. And it's the same thing. And I'm tired of anyone that. can do that. Right. And we all watch, we were all exposed to so much news over this past year that you could hear when another person's opinion was just what they were told. I'm like, yeah, I just heard that on the news last night. You know, I heard that on CNN. I heard that on Fox. That doesn't, you know, I, I can just turn on the television. Tell me what you know from independent research. What are the implications of this? Can you see this potentially as messaging to control your behavior? Do you understand that the same words are being stated over and over and over and over again to condition you and to get you to think a certain way? Step outside. What are you missing? Right? What are the, what are the opposing views and where is their validity? All things that are important in a discussion in society, out the window. But fear, if they're in fear, that makes that that makes them a, a bit irrational, doesn't it? In other words, if you say, hey, look at another uh, scientific study over here, look at this, and they're in fear, doesn't that overtake their ability to look at that? And so the so fear clouds rational thinking, right? Like it's the the bias of fear. You're going to look through it at the lens of, of, of trying to protect yourself. But there's a lot of people who don't view life that way. I'm one of them. I don't think, you know, you're the value of a life is as long as you live, right? I would rather live a shorter life free aligned with the values and purpose that I'm constantly growing, learning. I'm trying to do things for the betterment of society. I'm trying to make my life have some form of purpose and meaning than to just hide out in my house and try to extend it as long as possible, right? It's also how you think about life matters. And that's where you began to see individual uh, differences in how someone might um, think about a public health situation like a pandemic. It's going to often, I'm going to use this word, relative risk. The relative risk for harm for me and my community, the people who I'm interacting with, is very, very low. But the risk to our own mental health, to um, the risk to the type of life that we want to live, whether it's our own, our own business, how we're going to raise our family, sports, school, that risk was high, right? So, so a lot of the public health measures were impeding our ability to live our life in a healthy way, in the way that we viewed health. And we should have that right. 
and that freedom to be able to make that decisions. In fact, I believe constitutionally, from a government perspective, that's you know what's been afforded to us. So let me bring this up. It, it, it's on the same way, but I, I'm curious as the way you think of this. So there's some, I don't know, fear contagion, like the contagious element of fear. How much of that fear contagion has already taken over the population that now they're not going to, but they really won't want anything. Well, the science of fear conditioning, right? Um, so what ends up happening now is that we would be able to, with a le- relative degree of freedom, we live the our lives with the understanding that sometimes we get sick, right? Flu season, we get colds, um, you get the stomach flu. It's part of being human. You're exposed to it. Well, now it's conditioned in the matter of which a virus that isn't deadly for the overwhelming majority of people, unless you're in that small category of, of risk, the idea of being in the presence of another person makes that person dangerous. Mm -hmm. Crowds are dangerous. Going to school can be dangerous. Going to a concert can be dangerous. Somebody without a mask can be dangerous. We never know. Hugging someone. It's it's shaking hands. It's the uncertainty of living becomes more challenging, right? Because especially, and I thought this was, and I think there's a responsibility in terms of media, public health officials and government to not report on things until you really understand them to be grounded facts. And this idea of an asymptomatic spread, in my opinion, was purposely communicated to try to control behavior during that time. But the unintended consequence was people never knew if they were sick or not, right? You could feel good. It's the first time in history that someone who's healthy can believe that they're unhealthy. You know, and that... That messes with somebody's mental health. I don't know if I have it. I could be infecting you. What if I infect you and you go to your grandparent and your grandfather passes away? I could be responsible for starting that spread. It, that was the degree of uncertainty and fear that that, that was the number one reason when the kid, when students came back. Uh, I heard that exact thing probably a good 10, 10 times within the first two weeks about over overhearing students say, well, I, I just, I'm worried about my, my grandparents at home. I'm worried about that. And again, I'm not, I don't want to minimize that because there's probably true concern. They love their grandparents, but I just thought, wow, you know, to me, that didn't seem like it was something that just seemed. So you're, you're on microphone now, Kelly. And do you see like how careful you are and how you're speaking? Oh Yeah. This is the impact of this too, right? Sure. You're like, I don't want to really offend anyone if I speak outside the message. You told me that we had a safe word. I was allowed to do it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's a reason why I came up with the safe word because you're right. No matter what you say, someone's going to end up coming after you. You're so afraid of offending people. You're afraid of offending every, people. You're afraid every, of offending people. Yeah, everybody's going to be offended just by listening to this, regardless of what position or sure. what side. Then, just, you, then you might as well speak the truth. I want to go back to what you said when you you pointed the fingers at us. I don't disagree. I want to say it, but here's the thing. Even on this podcast, we're going to say these things. There are still going to be people, the people that we want to change their minds are going to sit there and they're going to look at me as being some sort of bully. You don't understand. You just don't know. I want to know how to change those individuals' minds. You don't. Like that's, if this- But those are the individuals that are sitting there and they're wearing their masks in their car. Let them- let them. This, the, per, the people who are going to be listening to this podcast are the ones who are going to be caring about a full life, right? 
And if you are going to be worried about what other people think about you, Mm -hmm. then you're never going to be able to take the steps to live the life that you're meant to live, that you're designed to live. I don't care. I did not, I don't wear a mask. I didn't wear a mask. I believe it was a well-informed decision. I went into the data. I didn't believe I was putting other people at, at risk based on the science that I read, but I was willing to do the research myself. If you have a population of people who's getting their information through, these, through the media or through the messages, well, that's how they're going to make their informed decision. They're going to be much more interested about being part of the group versus actually making the most effective decisions for themselves in the long run. It's about being part of the group. And that's where we're in a dangerous spot in society. And we have people who are struggling with their mental health because of that fear that was created. Listen, everyone loves their grandparents, right? Were these kids responsible if their parents got, their grandparents or someone else got sick? No, we have no idea where they contracted the virus. And to be honest with you, if we were going to make recommendations that were on the best interest of people's health, we would have talked about how to promote health. I agree. And the overall, uh, communication that I'm seeing sometimes on Twitter though, when we, when people bring that up is, well, you don't understand how hard it is to do those things. You don't understand that, you know, you just act like, oh, you can just go right outside and exercise. You can do that. And then like, well, yes, you, you can, you can wake up and you can do this. And we still see people wearing masks, exercising. That's insane. Right. Right. There's no one around you and you're on the trail with fresh air and you're wearing a cloth mask. And that messaging did come from public health officials. It did come from media. It was it was celebrated in some cases. There were people that were posting things about kids in mass being heroes, right? There were there were there, and and I remember seeing that and thinking, well, what kind of a message is that sending that kid? And then is that kid waking up and saying, I have to wear my mask or else I'm going to hurt someone today? I, see, I always saw the mask. Forget about if it's effective or not. From a you know uh, when you're exhaling and inhaling. But it becomes this visual reminder just to be mindful of what you're doing at that moment. That's how I saw it. And you see that as a positive for society? It just made people focus on the fact that there was a pandemic happening. There was a virus going around and it was something to be mindful of. Because at the time, remember, it's it was novel. People were still trying to figure out how and what the effect would be for the long term. And, um, and it could easily escalate into a situation. That's what goes, um, you know... The, the fact that people, uh, 100,000, then 200,000, then 400,000, then 800,000, and that, that time period was getting shorter and shorter, that's that hyperbolic curve that they were trying to prevent from happening. So I understand why some of those tactics were uh, pursued to try and control something. And yes, controlling something ends up being controlling people as well. Do you understand the view of human beings and human nature from that perspective? You know, it, it, it's, it's this idea and it's, it's somewhat like of an elite kind of viewpoint of society. Like there's, there's people who are, who are smarter, who are, have the ability to make decisions, who can actually create you a message to elected, <laughs> elected people to uh, be in charge of the truth, center for disease control. Truth doesn't matter anymore, right? It's more about what can I do to influence your behavior because I can't trust you to make decisions on your own. Forget about thinking about the consequences or the impact of that. So Sean has this rather neutral view of masks. Hey, it's a reminder that's a pan- that there's a pandemic. As if we needed a reminder that there's a pandemic. It's, as businesses are being shut down, kids, all over can, the news. kids can't go to school, right. and you can't turn on television without a reminder of it, right? But you know what? We can't trust you to make decisions 
So if you wear that mask, well, you're complying with us. You are now in the in-group. Uh, yeah. We can trust you now, right? And so what do we do? We can snap our photos for our social media profiles with our masks on. And we can even change our names. I wear a mask or I get or I become vaccinated. And that's that new concept of virtue signaling. Like I have to show you that you can trust me. I'm part of your group. And if you are questioning any of this and you respond differently, well then you're dangerous and you're on you're in the out group. And yet and, the same leaders that were telling us and convincing people to say that exact thing that you're doing this as as a favor to your you know your neighbor, they were actually out at restaurants. They were breaking rules. And that bothered me a yeah, lot. Yeah, no, I I get that. And I'm with you there. Um, so I think there was, about there's a degree simply. of tr- but I mean trusting our politicians. I mean, come on. Yeah, I think about things a little bit too simply. But you provide people with accurate information, factual information, and you trust their ability to make decisions for themselves. Yes. And consequently, that generally means that they're going to do things to protect others. Now, you can't control everybody, but if there's a legitimate imminent risk or threat, mm-hmm. people are going to do things that are in their best interest to protect themselves and their family and subsequently protect others. If there's a vulnerable population, then those people should protect themselves and we as a society should be mindful of them, right? There were so many other options that we could have we could have uh, determined to move forward yeah, but to how, make it better how, for society. How many of those options in hindsight would have been the better thing? But once you start moving in a direction towards enforcing certain restrictions, it's hard to backpedal, isn't it? Well, I mean, that would take honesty. That would that would be trusting admission of a mistake, admission of, hey, you know, and, and I, that's what I was expecting to hear in some cases. And we didn't. Yeah. But the moment you admit to a mistake, then all of a sudden the next time nobody will ever take you seriously. Wrong. Or are we there right now? I don't, no, I don't, it, I don't it, agree with it, that. Yeah, that, that's actually against what I think we know about um, psychology of public health decisions. Mm-hmm. The moment that we catch you in a lie and you don't backpedal from it or update it with new information, we can't trust any of your, your, your messaging moving forward, regardless of whether it's true or not. So if, if, if I took the stance that science is evolving, so I, I hated this idea of trust the science because it became a, a slogan. And what we know about science is it's always evolving. It's actually, um, it's a process of continuously gathering information in an empirical way and then trying to make sense of it. So if you trust the science, often what the science says is we don't know or it's uncertain or this is what we believe right now. And they tried to make science factual. And one year later, you realize how much of those facts that they were identifying to be as if it's accepted science didn't turn out to be the, the case. So we look at the impact of, of lockdowns, for example. Lockdowns is a public health measure approach, you know, widely fails on multiple levels, mm-hmm. right? Um, people who needed elective surgeries or, or needed uh, other health care well, weren't count, able to even get counseling. It. We were unable to get the mental health care, the things that are necessary to manage health. And that's one of the themes of our podcast is to think about your mental health within the complex variables of nutrition and movement and exercise and, and connection and spiritual connection. Once you start restricting the individual freedoms of people, especially children in society, yeah. 
and the impact it has on the, on the families and the parents. Now you have a public mental health crisis. Yes. And that's what we do for a respiratory virus that turns out to be 99.8% high recovery rate, right? And for a large percentage of the, the population, especially young people, the need for them to be in society, contributing to society, and the impact of uh, the mental health crisis down the line is going to affect us as a culture. That falls into the category of things that make no sense. And that's what we saw during this pandemic. We saw decisions that people were making to give you the, um, the sense of protection, like this false sense of protection. Symbolism. Right? So we could go to a restaurant. We had to wear our masks as we were walking to the table, but we could take it off when we got to our table. Right? Well, that just, that's just science. <laughs> Put it back on as you walk to the bathroom, right? Although there's a table, I don't know, six feet away yeah. from you. You were indoors. You know, there was so many things that we did that didn't make rational well, I sense. Well, I got a kick out of the, uh, in the early stages when everybody was, you know, you were allowed in at first. You had to wear your mask. Same thing. There was this rule. And I remember a person getting up, putting their mask on, walking outside, smoking a cigarette. And then walking back in, yeah. and I thought to myself, "Well, there's an easier way to uh, be, you know, like you, you just, you're you're going to sit there and you're going to die of smoking. Of right. You're not going to die of COVID, right? right? You're going, you're more likely to die of, of smoking, not COVID. So let's, I mean, come on with the mask thing, yeah, right. And so we didn't talk, and we still don't talk about um, how people can change their behavior around their physical health. And you know why we don't? Because our media is owned by six companies for the most part, right? With many of them tied to the food industry, to the pharmaceutical industry, there is a financial benefit for you to continue to um, utilize poor health choices. The, the entire healthcare system is kind of overrun financially, but it's still a for-profit healthcare system. So there's, there's too many, um, there's too much conflict of interest. And this was such an opportunity to, to make decisions to, to improve society's health and well-being. And it would have started first with allowing these kids to go to school. It would have been really encouraging the time that you're not in the office to dedicate to your health and your exercise. And we don't incentivize that. So fear far outweighs, because you look at incentive versus punishment, okay? If I offer people an incentive or I offer them a punishment, which is going to have more of an effect on their lives? Incentives. Not that I've seen at school, in the school itself. Like you, get, you can give students incentives all the time unless you actually you know, say, if you don't do this, then this will happen as a punishment. They'll react to the punishment. They don't necessarily react to incentives, at least at the younger ages. Well, I think you're, I mean, you're probably using different language than what I think about this, but we're talking about positive reinforcement versus punishment. So the positive reinforcement is what somebody gains from it, right? Something positive that increases the likelihood of a, of a, of a behavior. So if you're going to increase a behavior, positive reinforcement is going to influence, you know, behavior change. While, you know, punitive components, like which is giving something to you that is aversive to stop behavior tend to only have like short-term effects. So what was the incentive? Go back then in this whole thing. So let's, I want you to break that up for me. Because if you sit there and you say, well, now with vaccinations, for example, the incentive to be vaccinated would be, oh, I don't have to wear a mask anymore. For a long time, that's not what was stated. It's still stated. You still have to wear masks. 
So what's the incentive for people to be vaccinated? Well, the incentive for people to be vaccinated, if you, you know, believe in that, in that science is to try to stay safe, stay healthy, protect yourself from contracting COVID, which will then, you know, protect society but from also it. a free Krispy Kreme donut. Well, then free airlines and all day. that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so let's bring it back to where we started off. We're one year, you know, 15 months um, into it and, and things are starting to open up again. Uh, the last year, I would imagine here at your practice has been one of, uh, of learning, adapting and an overwhelming need for um, help. I'm just curious I mean, we touched on a lot of things, but what are you seeing a lot more of right now or things that you've never seen before that is happening? This is like, there's always, you can say it was an intended consequence or an unintended consequence, but things are happening right now that have never happened. I'm just curious what, what you're seeing. Can you share a little? Yeah, good question. Um, first, those who are already prone to anxiety disorders, and that includes obsessive compulsive disorder, it's exasperated those conditions, right? So if you're vulnerable to fear and you enter into certain strategies to try to cope through with that fear, maybe it's compulsive behaviors, over-control strategies, avoidance. When you're exposed to the messages, the media messages, a public health crisis and everyone's response, it intensifies that. Mm -hmm. It exasperates that. But probably what's changed the most is those who previously weren't struggling with their own mental health. The actual public health recommendations and its impact on society has created mental health-related problems. So social isolation, the constant fear messages, the distrust has created an increase of people seeking out mental health services because they just don't feel good anymore. Listening to a podcast may be therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you are considering suicide, call 1-800-273-TALK to speak with a skilled, trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, and engage with us through our social channels. And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, may make their day. Thank you for listening. Thank you.